0: If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. We'll be reading the entire Psalm. Psalm 38. Would you please give ear to the reading of God's Word? O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. Lord, all my desire is for you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it is it has gone before me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me. Lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous, and they are strong, and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those who also render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, Do not far, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord, my salvation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, look upon our suffering and deliver us, for we have not forgotten your law. Defend our cause and redeem us, Prepare, preserve our lives according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion is great, O Lord. Preserve our lives according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute us, but we have not turned from your statutes. We look on the faithless with pity, for they do not obey your word. See how we love your word. See how we love your precepts. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Open our hearts to receive your word, O Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. to use the next few weeks to build in you a deeper understanding of how the gospel is hidden in the old testament first i trust you remember romans 15 4 for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope paul is saying that whatever is written in the old testament is to help you grow in hope he also shows that all the events recorded in the Old Testament were to help those who live throughout the ages to come and learn from them. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The Apostle Peter also shows the same thing in 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Peter says the words of the holy prophets are equal to the words of the apostles of Christ. These verses make it clear. The Old Testament is filled with the same message as the new. Therefore, do not ignore, as some do, the wisdom of the Old Testament. Over the next four weeks, I want to, us to look at Psalms 38 through 41. You should, in these four Psalms, be able to hear the message of the New Testament clearly. Psalm 38 is a psalm of remembrance. Psalm 39 is a psalm of reflection. Psalm 40 is a psalm of grace that saves. And Psalm 41 is a psalm of our foreordained work. This should lay out a very clear picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's begin with Psalm 38, a psalm of remembrance. The Hebrew title for this psalm tells you it was written by David and that it was a petition before God. It gives no indication as to when it was written or upon what kind of occasion it was penned. It's a psalm of remembrance. David was obviously... Reflecting on the things that had happened to him over the years. Perhaps he was remembering what happened as he came into the presence, personal relationship he had with the Lord. I think every Christian, every Christian should be able to to read this psalm and recognize in it a part of himself. David could see the struggle with his own heart as he came face to face with his sin and his need of a savior. I know as I prepared this sermon, there were several times that I stopped and looked back at moments in my own life of my rebellion. I remembered some of the things that caused me to stop and consider my place before God. This is a powerful psalm, and one well worth the time and effort required to study it. It is similar to Psalm 70, which is also a psalm of remembrance. There may be another purpose of this psalm. It could be that David wrote this psalm in a time of great affliction or a time of sickness and pain. If that was the case, then it could be designed to teach that sickness and pain are sent to cause reflection on past sinful behavior and its effects on your salvation. It could be to cause an awakening of the conscience in order to deal with the attitude of the heart about sin to bring about an attitude of humility. It may also be supposed that it was written after such a time of sickness and pain, after the weakness was healed and the fear of the future dissipated. Therefore, it could well have been designed to give a record of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart while under such affliction. Whatever the purpose... Regardless of the condition that brought it about, there's one thing that stands out. When the psalm is reviewed, it will cause the calling to mind of good impressions that come from such conditions as were caused by God's grace. This psalm should put you in mind of the same types of things in your life. It should help you help to teach you how to deal with those terrible times when God's grace seemed to have faded and you are left alone in your troubles. It should help you to know what and how to think on things when you are trapped in sickness and troubled by pains of life. How do you face the prospect that God has left you to face this life by yourself? I don't think there can be a darker time in the life of any believer than those times when you feel deserted by God. Left all alone. Facing some terrible condition, be it physical, financial, emotional, or spiritual. This psalm is written to deal with just such a situation in your life. What does it call you to do? It calls you to remember. Let's look at this psalm and learn what it is we should be remembering. First, we're called to the remembrance of our sinful past. Second, the call is for us to remember the many enemies that have attacked us and what has happened to them. Third, we are to be brought to reflect on the wonderful and glorious action of God's saving faith planted in our hearts. David opens this psalm with a remembrance of his sinful past. He begins with a petition concerning the discipline his sins bring. He lays out the reasons for seeking God's grace. He confesses that it is his own foolishness that causes the wounds he suffers from. He calls on God to hear his plea and to acknowledge the depth of his sorrow. Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Some believe David is asking God not to be too hard in his chastening and discipline. They think he's asking that God's discipline be from his love and compassion. I don't agree with that. I think he's asking God not to discipline him at all. As I look at the Hebrew, I think it clearly shows he's placing with God, pleading with God not to chasten him. Yes, he says, rebuke me, not in your wrath, but remember, God hates sin and his wrath is always against sin. So for him to rebuke sin means he rebukes it in his wrath. David's desire is that God would not be angry against him and would not punish him. His petition is, Lord, separate me from my sin. He is asking God to cleanse him and to free him from his sin and its punishment. Do you realize... He is asking for the same thing promised in our Lord Jesus Christ. No condemnation, but forgiveness. The law showed this same concept in Leviticus 5.10. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts 26, 18, God, in giving Paul his commission to the Gentiles, declares he was to go, opened their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus didn't come to punish your sins, but to forgive them. This is what David is asking for. David goes on to explain why he asked this of God. He knows how terrible the hand of God can be and now how sin is absolutely misery. Verses 2 through 4. For your errors pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. David speaks of the errors of God's conviction. God When he aims the arrows of his conviction at your heart, he never misses. They will find the tenderest part of your heart, and they will sink in deep. The worst thing, the worst thing about these arrows is they have sticking power. Once they are there, they can't be removed except by God's grace. How many of you who are believers have sinned and felt like you got away with it? No one knew but you. And oh yeah, God. God shot his arrow of conviction and it found its mark. The weight of your sin began to grow. Your whole body began to hurt. You couldn't find any rest. Your thoughts were consumed by this terrible sin. You tried to ignore it, but the pain wouldn't let you. Finally, it came to the point you couldn't live with it. You fell on your face before God and confessed. David in verse 4 comes acknowledging, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. David admits he couldn't handle God's anger. He couldn't stand the punishment. God's hand of wrath is too strong and he pleads that God will not bring him into this but deliver him from it. The only deliverance is found in someone else taking that wrath upon themselves in your place. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ hidden in the Old Testament. Jesus came to do for you what you could not do for yourself. He came to live the perfect life you could never live. He came to take God's wrath on himself and to give his life for your atonement by taking your punishment upon himself. Jesus is the answer to David's plea that he not have to face God's wrath. David freely admits the cause of his wounds in his own, is his own sin. He caused this problem all on his own. He knows sin has caused him much suffering. Sin cost him his peace of mind as well as his health. Look at verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8. My wombs are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. David is overcome with grief because of his sin. He's fully aware of his part in this misery. Let me give you a literal translation of verse 7. For my loins are filled with parching, and there is no sound place in my flesh. The word for parched in the Hebrew is the word, I had it a minute ago, kala. And it suggests being dried up with great heat. It also indicates a despised or contemptible, contemptible condition. David, in using this word, is saying his sin is the one and only cause of his suffering. It has has become a terrible disease to him. He's living in great misery. This is always the case when sin goes unconfessed in your life. In verse 8, he makes it quite clear. He is feeble and utterly crushed. In other words, no part of his body is left unaffected. He says, I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. Literally, he means I have roared from the murmur of my heart. He says, this suffering caused by sin is not merely physical, but mental and spiritual as well. The roaring of his voice is but an echo of the murmuring of his heart. David's reason for asking the Lord to spare him from the punishment of his sin is that sin is in itself a terrible agony in the life of the believer. Sin is the cause of all suffering. From the common cold to the terrible agonies of AIDS, sin is the cause. Please understand. Sin was the cause of sickness back in the garden. I'm not saying simply because you have a cold, you have committed some terrible sin. It is sin that causes all sickness. It is one of the thorns in the flesh sin brought into the world. So all sickness is a result of the sin from the garden. David is declaring that sin itself should be a great enough agony and misery to bring men to see their need of a Savior. In verse 9, he makes known his desire before the Lord Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. This is the desire of David's heart that the Lord would see and know the suffering sin has produced in his life. He opens his heart before God and acknowledges his sin. His suffering is an open book before God, his sin is laid bare. He calls for God to hear his sign and to know he is deeply sorrowful for the sin that has brought him down. He acknowledges his sad state of affairs and pleads for God to be merciful. This must be the first step in properly dealing with sin. You cannot deal with what you ignore. If you are to have your sin mediated, you must be willing to admit, I have sinned. People will say, I did wrong. But it was because someone else caused me to do it. They are ignoring their responsibility. God says you're responsible for your actions and you alone. If there is sin in your life, you must confess it before God and acknowledge you're the cause of it. You must, as David, open your heart before God. But that is the problem, isn't it? Opening your heart before God. But that's the problem that we need to say, we need to face. Men don't want to admit their actions are the cause of their misery. They want to transfer their misery onto the actions of others. They can't see the cause of their agony until God gives them a new heart and the gift of faith and repentance. As one who has been given those gifts, you need to ever remember your sins and the agony they caused in your life. The more vivid picture, the more vivid those pictures are in your mind, the less likely you will be to repeat those sins. Now, there are other causes of suffering in the believer's life. Much suffering is brought on by enemies, those who hate you because of your your trust in the Lord. Verses 10 through 11. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. David remembers. He remembers the pain and suffering caused him by the sin of others. He begins by describing his own feelings. He says his heart pounds and his strength fails him. He allows their sins to cause him to sin. What he means is that he got angry and allowed sin into his own heart because of the evil others did to him. He allowed his hate to blind him. He no longer looked to the truth, but only to his flesh and its desire for revenge. For he he was consumed by the hate that was all around him. This causes his friends to avoid him. Who wants to be around someone consumed by hate? He developed an abominable attitude. His friends avoided him because of self-inflicted wounds. Nobody likes to be around the self-absorbed person, and especially one who's absorbed in his own sins. His enemies saw his sin and the pain and suffering it caused a different light for them. They saw it as an opportunity. They saw he was not focused on God and the work of service he had been given So they increased their attacks against him. They sensed his weakness. They smelled blood and moved in for the kill. They wanted him dead and out of their way. Verse 12 says, Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. My friends, here scripture warns you against building up your self-esteem. David had built it up in his mind, and he built up an image of himself that was not true. That false image caused him to fall into sin. That put him into a condition before his enemies that demanded he protect himself, making him vulnerable to their traps and deceptions. His own efforts proved to be totally futile. He was naked and exposed, walking without protection in a dangerous world. His enemies were on the verge of winning because he had abandoned his true hope. He comes around and recognizes his condition. He sees how he has left his hope. Verse 13 But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I'm like a mute who does not open his mouth. He comes to see he has no defense of his own. He admits he has failed. He acknowledges the charges against him are true. He he knows he cannot answer the charges. He cannot speak. He knows he would not listen. Not because he couldn't hear, but because he didn't want to hear. They say, he says, I was like a deaf man, like a mute. The problem was in his heart. David knew he had sinned. He doesn't blame his enemies for his troubles. At this point, He is openly admitting his sin. He is accepting his guilt. There's a subtle change from verse 13 to verse 14. In verse 13, he's talking about his sinful attitude. This is the way I was with that sin in my life. In verse 14, he's talking about his repentant attitude. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth is no response. He says in verse 14, I am like a man. That's important. What he means is he has gone from being a man filled with guilt to a man filled with hope and trust. He lacks his lack of hearing is now caused by his faith in God. What he does not hear now is the charges of the wicked. His mouth no longer tries to offer a defense against he because he is now trusting in God for his defense. He has come to the point in all of this that he is going to hush and be quiet because he is once again depending upon his God for his life. What does he say? And What does he do? He knows he has sinned and is guilty. What comes next? Verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God. David remembered in whom he was to trust. He has acknowledged his sin, and now he calls upon God. He asked the Lord to deliver him from this mess he made. David looked at all God had given him, at all God had done for him, and he began to see it as his own works. David's not out of the bushes yet. He began to build himself up. What that did was bring him to the brink of destruction. He looked around at all the trouble he had fallen into because of his sin and realizes how foolish he's been. He saw that his hope was being taken from him and that without that hope, he was totally lost. The desire that was in his heart when he followed God begins to be rekindled. He comes humbly before God and confesses his sin and throws himself on the mercy of God because he knows only there will he find a refreshing of his hope. What a revelation. What a freeing of the heart. Upon this revelation, David comes to the second step in dealing with sin in your life. The first step was to acknowledge that you are a sinner. Then you must come to the foot of Calvary's cross and call upon Jesus to forgive you. You must ask him to pour his blessings on you and to guide you in your repentance. The second step, as David lays it out here, is to show yourself to be a new creation. To show you have come to trust in nothing, nothing but the wonderful grace of God. David is not just saying, Lord, I stumbled. He says, Lord, I failed. Verse 16: For I said, Hear me, lest they reproach me, over, rejoice over me. Lest, when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. David knows how wicked men can be. He knows how the wicked are. He has admitted his sin. He has fallen, and now he confesses his sin and asks forgiveness. But he knows the wicked will continue to try and use his sin against him. That will magnify anything he does in order to discredit him and bring him to destruction. So you see that this cancel culture of today is nothing new. David had to fight it. He understands because of his sin, his feet slip and slide, and he can find no solid footing. He knows how this overjoys his enemies. He further explains his dilemma in verse 17. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. Now, David is like the lame man. He cannot stand without help. The Apostle Paul, in speaking of the people of the Old Testament, and their example to you, said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. It really doesn't take much to make Christians fall. They're already lame because of their sinful nature. They're weak because of the pain and suffering caused by past sin. David is saying he was ready to give in to the despair because of the depression of sin has caused in his life. David admits that this plan is ever with him. He is ever fighting with it and he knows it will not end because he does not have the strength to overcome it. What's he to do? He comes to the Lord, verse 18. For I will declare my iniquity. I will be in anguish over my sin. There's but one thing he can do. He must come before God and he must confess everything. He must make it clear he can do nothing to help himself. His sin has overwhelmed him and he knows he is lost without a divine intervention. Things have come to the point in his heart he can no longer be quiet. He cries out to God. He falls on his face and admits his sin. He humbles himself. He asks God for help. David didn't know the full extent of the help God would offer. That help was hidden in the ceremonies of the temple. But you have no excuse. You have the revelation of all God was promising. You have the gospel before you. Jesus is the divine help David seeks. Jesus came to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. He lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, and won the resurrection victory. To enjoy all of these benefits, to have your sins forgiven and washed away, you only need to come in humility to the foot of the cross, confess your sins, and acknowledge your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He will be faithful and just and forgive you and bring you into the safety of his protection. David assesses the situation, verses 19 through 20. But my enemies are vigorous, and they are strong, and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Those who also render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. David presents his case before God. He says, I have so many enemies. They all seem to be so full of life and so strong I can't stand against them. When I pursue good, they hate me without cause. I even try to do good to them, and they hate me all the more. Lord, I put my trust in you, and they still come hating me. David is showing you that trust in the Lord will always bring persecution. You must be aware of this. The Lord doesn't promise that life will be easy when you follow him. In fact, he tells you they persecuted him, therefore they will also persecute you. That makes your trust in him all the more important. David calls out for help from this desperate situation he finds himself in. He comes before God with a desire in his heart. Verses 21 and 22. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. David has come to that final point of remembrance. Those who follow God have to come to. This is where David began the psalm. Do not rebuke me, Lord. Do not let your wrath fall on me. Stay close, O Lord. What David saw was that his sin in and of itself is sufficient punishment for those who God has planned, placed his hand upon. When God places his hand upon a man, that man will have his eyes open and will see what a sinner he is. His heart will be torn to shreds by the arrows of conviction. He will understand the holiness of God. He will be able to do nothing but turn from his sin and turn to Jesus Christ calling out to him. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. His desire will be his separation from his sin the cleansing of his soul, and the restoration of his place with God. David lays out in this psalm three needs you must remember to be saved. This psalm is a place where we find hidden in the Old Testament the gospel of the new. First, you must come remembering and acknowledging you're a sinner lost and without hope. You must see that sin is dragging you down, down into utter despair. Second, you must come humbly to the foot of the cross in remembrance of your need of a Savior and calling upon Christ to save you. Third, you must remember your need of help in living this life for Christ. You must trust in Him to guide you through the narrow gate up the steep path to life in His presence. My friend, there is no other way in which you can be saved and thus delivered from God's wrath. Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Please do not forget these glorious truths. Take them and apply them in your life, for it is in them alone that you can find that life of peace promised in this psalm and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day with joy in our hearts and thanksgiving on our lips because we know You're our sovereign Lord Almighty. You're our God and Father, and you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're a merciful God. You will not forsake us, nor destroy us, nor forget the covenant you have made with us through our forefathers. You sent your only begotten Son to complete all the works of that covenant. And through faith in him, we can come boldly before you, knowing you will touch us with your grace and save our souls